0: This is Viv, and you're listening to the What Gives podcast. Welcome back to another episode of What Gives. I have Charles Long with me. He is the manager of resource strategy for the Movement for Black Lives, a platform for Black organizations across the country to debate learn, organize, and co-create a shared movement strategy, which I'm so excited to learn more about. This is a great mission, and I work in coalition building myself for people of color, so I'm so excited to learn more. So Charles, please set the stage for us in terms of the overarching issues that Movement for Black Lives tackles and the start of the movement.
1: Thanks. Viv. Yeah, I guess I'll start with the start of the movement. The movement for Black Lives was essentially started on the streets and uh, during the uprising uh, in Ferguson, um, when there was a national call for Black-led, Black-facing groups to show up in solidarity with the folks who were holding space at that time. And while folks were there, it became very clear to them that they could do more together than they could separately as organizations. And from there was birthed the Movement for Black Lives, which is a, now a coalition of 160-plus Black-led, Black-facing groups. Both groups who have been around for many years, including like the Highlander Center and Song or Southerners on New Ground, to newer groups like Equity and Transformation in Chicago or um, groups like BYP 100, which were also birthed during the kind of same time period. Uh, And essentially, folks come together, as you said, to debate and participate in shared strategy conversations in ways that will benefit their individual organizations, but the movement at large and to move forward a larger vision. Um, Particularly, there's a vision for Black Lives, which you could find on our website, which is a comprehensive document. You know, many times when folks were in the streets and continue to be in the streets about something, folks are like, well, what do you want? Um, The vision of Black Lives lays out very uh, concretely and succinctly in a number of areas uh, what we want and what we desire. And so our work together collectively is to move towards that uh, and to uh, build programming, shared language, shared opportunities to move towards that vision. Um, When you say, like, what areas do we work in? And I think we work in all areas that impact Black life um the organizations and groups that make up for bl if you name it they're inside of it um i often talk i i work in the philanthropic sector of our work and so i'm often talking to folks in that sector and one thing i find interesting is that there's like a siloing of black life into like the racial justice portfolio Um, but actually black life exists in your gender portfolio it exists in your um lgbtqia portfolio it exists in your labor portfolio you know Um, in the ways that our lives aren't siloed in general, like neither is Black life. And so, yeah.
0: So I do want to get into how you are coalition building, how you're building that unity um, when there are so many different Issues that uh, each community faces. So, really wanting to hear uh, from you about that. But before we get there, I do want to ask. It's you know summer of 2022. There has been some really regressive policies happening. A lot of which disproportionately affects. BIPOC, namely Black communities. And I've seen resources being shared through M4BL for reproductive rights, climate justice, police brutality. But in your words, how is the movement for Black Lives addressing this moment?
1: I think in the practice of abolitionist, uh, Black queer feminist, and um, anti-capitalist politics. Uh, we are actively trying to be inside of the work that will lead us to the world we want to live in. And, you know, I think that there is no perfect solve for the centuries-old systems that we're trying to dismantle and take apart. Uh, I think it's, it's you know, we can put forth a vision and we can uh, move towards that thing, but it's also about the practice of being inside of those things. And so I think that what the Movement for Black Lives is allowing is for groups who are working on the in 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 their communities and inside of these struggles to both do that work that's very vital and crucial to their survival as in their communities but also be inside of a practice of uh, building and dreaming and scheming towards a different reality and not being trapped inside of uh, this moment, right? We we're in this regressive time where rights are being stripped left and right. And it's, it can be very easy to be uh, distracted um, by only being uh, defensive to that offensive front. But I also think it's, it's important. And what I think the Movement for Black Lives has made possible for lots of people is that we remain visionary and remain uh, focused on what we want as well as what we're finding.
0: You said a little bit about dreaming and scheming, and I would love to get into sort of the details of the programs that M um, for BL is doing in terms of the dreaming and scheming.
1: Yeah, I think you know we're actively making investments in organizations across the country through various projects. Um, I think how it has shown up and how it exists in InfraBail's work in a lot of ways is through kind of like fellowship programs where we are making direct um, investments in organizations who are holding work, but also individuals inside of those organizations who are holding work. And so like our organizing and field team has done a Black Freedom Summer and uh, a Freedom Fall, which played off of the historic Freedom Summer um, for many years ago and really were kind of they were seven week programs. Uh, that we're taking people through deep kind of political analysis and education, and that while they were also applying those things that they were learning to the the very issues that are impacting their communities. One of InfraBale's kind of pillars uh, for Vision 2024, which is our um, kind of strategic plan, Is being inside of a a local power and like exercising uh, Black folks' ability to be in control of the conditions that impact their life, and so through that fellowship program, young organizers have been connected with other young organizers from organizations across the country, working on similar but not the same, but like also like very real. They have the same root, I should say, like you know anti-blackness and uh, dangers to Black life. You know have been replicated across city and country, and so many of the things that are being fought in one place are similar, if not the same, to things that are being fought in the other place. And so the fellowships allow for those young folks and, and organizers to come together to build the vision that and share information. Uh, and basically I think of M4BL as being a hub for that type of uh, work to happen. But the same thing happens with our electoral justice project. They also have fellows who are doing a myriad of work around and inside of the political arena, like from ballot initiatives to voter education, all of the things inside of that uh, folks within that fellowship are involved in. We also have fellows who are part of our abolishing patriarchal violence table. They are actively trying to have impact in the ways that uh, interpersonal and patriarchal violence shows up and happens in our communities uh, and trying to collectively think about interventions and ways of tracking like methodically tracking and intervening inside of uh, the violence that happens uh, inside of our communities as well, right? So when we say that we want to defund the police and we want uh, other programs in the world to exist, our organizations and, and for BL itself are experimenting in alternatives and trying to build out what that means, what it will mean to keep us safe. So I think we we're providing that fertile ground for groups to kind of come together, experiment, and to be unapologetically Black inside of that.
0: It sounds like you're providing a lot of resources and space for the community of organizers. I mean, there's got to be some room for, for non-organizers, right? What can be some of our role in all of this for the listeners?
1: Yeah, I mean, we have a very robust comms and digital platform space. I think, as you were mentioning earlier, um, going to our website and, and reading about the various initiatives that folks are moving, I think one of the powerful things about the movement for Black Lives as well, I think, is that we have really been able to be inside of and change a larger political dialogue. You know, the idea of defund the police, you know, wasn't a mistake. It was a built political framework. That came out of the moments of 2020, and it was really leaning into the demand that at the time folks were like, oh, wow, that's too far, that's too much. But actually, you know, they, they aren't actually doing their job. And, right, so, like, what does it mean to actually recenter and to move resources that are really important in communities back to programming that is in community control? And so I, I think that how can non-organizers or other folks in the field I think stay abreast of what um, the movement is doing. I think you know there's no need to reinvent the wheel or to have your own kind of um, you know you can be involved in your own deep political analysis and growth. But I also think there there's so many resources available for folks to kind of really educate themselves uh, and be listening to Black people about Black people's stuff, right? And allowing Black people to be in control. Uh, and to be the leaders uh, of, uh, of how, we, how we react and we move, move. Because when black people are free, we'll all be free, honestly. In the, in the, in the, um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, once that is true, you know. like when the lives of black trans women are valued, supported and um, strengthened, we will all be strengthened by that. And so I think it's about listening to those folks who are directly inside of that and who's who's experience, who experiences that on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. I love what you said about listen to black people about black people stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think we started to go into this a little bit at the beginning, um, Mm -hmm. but it ties back into your point of needing unity and not reinventing the wheel. Like we have, we have resources already and we just need to come together and sort of organize. So, I would love to hear a little bit more about how you envision building unity with this community and beyond.
1: I think it's, you know, I, I think there's something about like what the like InfoBL has provided the world. Um, and it is, the, you know, inside the vision for Black Lives, which is a, you know, continues to get revamped and relaunched, you know, continue to follow our pages because those, you know, sections of it are continually being updated by brilliant, brilliant, amazing minds, right? Um, And so what that allows for is for groups who want to be, excuse me, who want to be in solidarity, who believe how we believe, um, to base and, like, look at their own work and see how is their work moving towards that and what can you be doing in in your arena, to be moving towards that i think um what for, movement for black Lives has allowed for me personally is for me to be inside of my lane of really working to change the landscape of philanthropy as it relates to black led black facing groups around the country and i can be solidly inside of that work and doing that work on behalf of black folks and my my friend in the comms department can be doing that work that's solidly, and my friend organizing the the electoral justice, all of these spaces for brilliant black black brilliance to show up and for um, it to be it to be featured and, and uh, to be the solution, not like part of it, but it is it is the space I think is a place for folks to really grab onto and uh, interweave inside of their own all already existing the things that they care about and inside of their communities. And that can be, if you were inside of an organization or in terms of a community organizing group or in your own communities, that can be inside of your own family. I think, you know, our families, even in other, this could be I mean, all kinds of families. You know, the concept of defend the police, that's a very scary concept. Like you're like, what? But what will happen if this happens? You know, abolition is a practice and we have to be inside of like talking to our communities about how do we keep each other safe? And I think we can learn that from observing the vision for Black Lives and the organizations that make it up and this leadership, and apply that inside of our our communities, our families, and you know, just even in our own social interactions. You know, how are you creating space for marginalized Black folks in your own space? You know, I think that type of analysis and, and that is what unity looks like right now. It is action based. It is not like, oh, yes, I agree with you that that sounds really good. It is figuring out what is your place and lane inside of the space that isn't taking up all of this space and asking black folks to do all of this labor for you but that is also about what you can do in in the the zone of what you have control over if that makes sense you know you have control over the who you know where you go how you go and so how are you uh following black leadership in those things
0: yeah, and I I love that you brought up taking action within families and your social circles because it you know it's not always taking the action in all, only the ways that we can envision you know organizers doing it or you know taking to the streets like it really it can take place in your own living room so I love that you brought yeah. that up
1: across the table and over dinner and when you hear something like we can just analyze like well where does that thought come from like. Where And how do you, like, you know, pushing where I feel comfortable with you? Obviously, you know, it's family. It's a complicated space. But those are the type of ways that we need fundamental change to be happening for those who want to be an allyship with Black folks in this moment, right? It is convincing your your auntie, your, your grandpa, your, you know, or at mm-hmm. least engaging them in the conversation around it, right? So that their thoughts can't exist kind of in this vacuum of like, oh, we're not going to talk about it. We're going to ignore it. Like, it's not there. No, we're gonna say it is there, and maybe we can maybe we can move some folks, because I think the thing that, you know, again I'll lean back into like, when conditions change for Black people, conditions will change for all peoples in this country, and and I think also one thing that the white supremacist project has succeeded in or achieved is the separating us from what is serves us all. Right. And pitting us against one another in ways that actually just, you know, makes black folks the scapegoat for many uh, other uh, POC populations. And it's just that's that's the work right now. It's like challenging why that is and and showing our folks uh, how their freedom, their um, liberation is tied to that of black folks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And this takes me back to an episode I did. Last season with People Matter, and they teach anti blackness classes. And they, you know, they teach that almost everybody has some anti blackness within, and it has to be worked on continuously um, because it's so ingrained in our culture, our society, families. Like, you know, this is incredibly important. And I think you did start going into this a little bit, but for folks who are not in the movement space, what does it mean to be abolitionist?
1: I mean, in the larger scheme of it, it would mean a a dismantling, uh, destruction of prisons, police, and uh, like, border enforcement and and those type of systems um, of punishment and incarceral harm, like punishment, as a form of uh, dealing with like uh, harm, right? We know that folks commit harm, but we also know that like throwing them away in boxes is uh, just a corporatized project and is actually deeply flawed and uh, deeply inhumane. And so it's about how do we return ourselves to living in a humane, balanced way. We know that addressing it by putting people inside of a system that was from its inception created to catch enslaved Black people is not the way forward. It means that when we, we are doing the work inside of our own communities again to address harm when it happens and to build resolution and to um, come through that and transform that without the intervention of the state.
0: M4BL has been around since 2014. So um, I would love to celebrate some wins in an effort towards that dream. What has been the the current impact of M4BL?
1: I mean, you now have a coalition of 160 Black-led, Black-facing groups. Amazing. Who are coming coming together under various tables, including policy, electoral justice, abolishing patriarchal violence, mass engagement, um, organizing, and are building collective strategies for moving towards, again, the vision for Black Lives, which I think is, is an early accomplishment of the movement, but it's still our North Star. It's still a direct answer to like, oh, what are those people in the streets? What do y'all want? It is, it is that, right? There's now a brief, the Breathe Act, which is an mult- omnibus bit of legislation that um, is, exists on the federal level and is being used to combat a police love agenda. The, it, it exists to be an example to other spaces about what they can make possible. For example, in Illinois, the Illinois Breathe Act was a thing that really restored uh, voting rights to formerly incarcerated folks, really did some things to right the wrongs of the deeply flawed police and carceral system here in Illinois. And that was based off of the, the larger Breed Act. m for BL has provided a, a, a voice to a new generation of freedom fighters to stand in uh, solidarity and, and to be flanked Again, I think it's something it's, it's interesting to me that the, in terms of both the folks who are inside of BL intergenerational, but even the, the organizations inside of the formation are intergenerational, right? Like there are groups who have been around for 30, 40 years intermingling with groups who were formed on the streets of various uprisings around various police killings that have happened over the past decade, right? So young organizers, like learning from seizing organizers and a long tradition of liberation and towards black freedom that didn't just exist in this moment, but they're basically taking up the reins of and continuing and pushing a firm and unapologetic space that allows for black leadership that places black folks as the experts in their own lives. And, Takes us away from relying on systems that don't serve us. Yeah. Again, we we we've, we've talked a couple of times in this conversation about the vision, or it allows for that to be possible for us to envision something different.
0: I love the idea of experimenting as a way forward, and I want to know about some of if you have any, you know, some stories and faces of M4BL. Yeah, that you could share with us.
1: I mean, I just think, you know, the summer of 2020, while as we were inside of it, seemed like it was like a rapid response, kind of just reactionary moment. It had actually been building over the years before it, right? And for real Conference's existence, folks have been meeting regularly to be in struggle together to develop programming and a plan for what they wanted to see. And my my lens is very much from uh, what were our impact, kind of in the philanthropic space. But in the summer of twenty twenty, our allies and supporters in the philanthropic sector came together and gave our leadership a platform to really demand a philanthropy that they that we stop making the case and that they um, meet us um, in the road towards change um which until that moment many folks had been saying we were too radical it was too much but we saw the largest uprising in u.s history in every state in the union people coming out and support of black life and that momentum that building wasn't just you know that didn't just spark in that moment of course there was it was catalyzed to use your word um by the, the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Tony McDade. but it was not simply the infrastructure that was in place to interconnect those groups who wanted to respond, who wanted to get in the streets. That was no accident. That was a building. That was people t- having the conversations in their families. Like you know, because these were fo- there were also folks showing up for Black Life, where there maybe you know. The population of Black people was even not that large, right? But they were showing up and and admitting that what had happened was wrong, and that we needed a fundamental shift in this country. And the fight continues. But I think I think that our ability to respond and to I keep returning to this but have a answer when the when the question is what do you want. There are so many more folks who are now saying, okay, this is what we want. And this is the intervention we want to see. And this is what we think is going to make our community stronger and keep our folks safe, which I think is a huge accomplishment.
0: Yeah, that is a huge accomplishment. And you're right that this movement didn't come from the reactionary events that took place in 2020 and the reactionary events that are taking place today. It's been longstanding. And I you know, I love that you shed light on just the seed that like so many people have planted before us. And I would love if you can share um, a lesson with us that we can take away um, from the work you're doing with M4BL and just in general.
1: The biggest lessons for me is, again, that, you know, we don't have to reinvent anything. There are solutions that we seek just being perfectly frank, probably there's a black woman somewhere who already thought of it. <laughs> so, what does it mean to support that and to stand in service towards that, and in support of those who continue to be marginalized, harmed? It remains one of the biggest honors of my life that I get to do that on a daily basis in terms of our work, um, and and to really lean into that vision and and to live it as a not just a kind of off-the-cuff t-shirt slogan, uh, but as a practice. And so I think that, that's a lesson of, you know, just when you thought you have figured it out, I'm almost sure a Black woman already did. <laughs> <laughs> so don't forget to give her credit. And yes. um, and if you don't know one, that's unfortunate, probably. <laughs> um, you know, figure out why that is and, you know, uh, see if you might be so generous to drop some knowledge on you. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I love that great lesson and where can we find movement for black lives where can we find you and yeah um, I would love if you can reiterate some call to action for us
1: yeah I mean infobl.org is uh, our website Um, there are many like sub websites off of that that talk about the various areas of our work including our electoral justice work Um, I think there's electoral justice project might be um, uh, out there in the ether. We also have Climate Work, which is our Red, Black, and Green New Deal, which is held inside of what we call our Black Hive work. I, I definitely um, get up on that work and follow it. Um, it's amazing, amazing posse of Black environmental justice uh, leaders who are coming together to put forth the Black climate agenda. It's going to be real hot stuff. Um, yeah, I think, you know, uh, our comms team is pretty brilliant. So if you get on all the socials, on the Twitters and um, Instagrams, maybe on TikTok, I don't know if we're on TikTok, maybe. Um, But um, Movement 4, I think the number 4, Black Lives, Black Lives being BLK on most platforms. Go to the website, read up some stuff, uh, you know, do your own work. Again, find your lane. Uh, If you're a non-Black person, do the work in your community, to combat anti-blackness, use brilliant resources that have been collected by black folks to impact and shift your own space. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be lots coming in the fall um, around the elections and all that. And, you know, I think our reproductive justice black repo groups have been waiting for this moment, have known this moment is coming, have told us this moment was gonna come. And so they're prepared and have already had plans in place. So I think continue to listen to their leadership around that stuff. And uh, yeah.
0: Awesome. We'll definitely keep a lookout for that. And I'll definitely be sharing some resources on our socials and my website as well. Um, I am so grateful to share this space with you, Charles. And to share the mission of Movement for Black Lives. I think y'all's work is incredible, and I am just so thankful for this conversation and to have met you.
1: Thank you, Viv. This is really great. Always excited to talk about our work and to be able to meet supporters and friends of ours out there in the world.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends. For more information, head to our website at whatgivesproject.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode.